Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Haven't seen you guys in a couple weeks. I missed you. It's good to be back. It's so good to be back. Thank you for giving me a couple of weeks vacation. Thank you for giving me some time off. I hope that you've had some time off too uh, this summer or maybe that you're getting some soon. Um, I need your help though. Maybe I'm alone on this, but when I go on vacation, I tend to consume a few more calories than normal. Anybody else out there do that? All right. Raise your hand if you do that when you go on vacation. Uh Uh-huh. All right, the rest of you, we know you're lying. All right. <laughs> oh, man, a few more carbs went into this little body than they should have. And I have to admit, I ate a lot of bread, all sorts of different kinds of bread, cinnamon rolls, croissants, bear claws, potato buns on barbecued brats. I mean, it was so good. But the best bread that I had on my entire vacation I couldn't even remember what it was on. I was like, was it on a sandwich? Where did I have it? I mean, the bun, the bread, it was so good. Freshly baked, perfect density, natural doughy flavor. In fact, it was so good. Like I said, I couldn't even remember where I had it. I had to call my wife this past week as I was writing this sermon. It's like, remember that really good bread that we had? Where, where was it? Was it on a sandwich? Was it like a roll? What, you know? She was like, oh, yeah, that was good bread. And she reminded me it was on this hamburger that we had, and we split it, and the bread just was so perfect bread. Despite all the anti-carb and anti-gluten diets out there these days, bread still remains a staple. And I think that even you folks that have given up on bread, you'd have to admit that there's something deeply satisfying when you eat good bread. In fact, some sort of bread, some sort of mixture of water and flour, sometimes yeast and heat, maybe a few other ingredients. It is a staple of every society in the history of humanity. Every human being on the planet Earth can relate to bread in some form or another. In fact, if you go back 2,500 years ago to the ancient Greek tragedy writer, his name is Euripides. He said that the essentials for life are grain and water. And many echoed his sentiment during these days, 2,500 years ago. They said, where bread was lacking, death would soon follow. 2,400 years ago, 100 years after Euripides, an ancient Greek philosopher named Democritus, he was, they said that he was kept alive on his deathbed for a week longer just because they brought fresh bread and put it under his nose and he breathed it in. The ancient Greco-Romans, they loved their bread. They regarded bread so highly that they attributed it to a goddess, a goddess Demeter. And they said all who ate bread should recognize her as the divine source. Now, we're going to get into John chapter 6, our gospel reading for today. It comes a few hundred years after the Greeks. And Jesus sort of ties into this notion of bread in a similar way to the Greco-Romans by recognizing a divine source behind the bread. Jesus said, well, it wasn't that goddess Demeter. He said, it was Yah- it's Yahweh. It's the Lord. It's the heavenly Father. And he goes back to a time long before the Greeks. He goes back 3,500 years to the Israelites. He talks about their encounter with God in the desert. He talks about manna. He talks about bread that came down from heaven. And he transforms our conception of bread. He takes the whole pursuit of bread to a, a higher level. Well beyond vacation hamburger buns, well beyond the fresh bread keeping us alive for a few more days. He takes us beyond physical sustenance. 
And he takes us to a place that says, what does it mean to be really nourished and fed in your entire being? John chapter 6. We're going to take a look. It'll be up on the screen. If you brought your, as I said once before, your old school Bibles, you can break those out too. It should be in the handout. But the context is this. Jesus had just fed uh, 5,000. He has fed 5,000 people by giving them bread. He had transformed five loaves of bread and two fish, multiplied them miraculously, and fed 5,000 people. And at the end, they gathered up, as it says, 12 basketfuls of bread. And the people, they were just pumped up at this. They're like, this Jesus guy, we've got to make him our king. He's going to be our ruler, our leader. He's going to free us from Roman oppression. But Jesus is like, that's not the way I roll. And he withdrew to a mountain. The disciples, they got in their boats. They went to the other side of the lake. Jesus, later on that evening, came walking across the lake, walking upon the water, joined the disciples in the boat, and then they arrived on the other shore. That's the context. That ha- that's what happens right before our text today. And so let's jump into it. John chapter 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. They didn't realize that Jesus walked miraculously on the water in the night over to them. Verse 23, Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So they arrived at the place where Jesus had fed the 5,000. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats, and they went to Capernaum. And I love those four words there, in search of Jesus. I mean, you could just spend a lot of time on those four little words, in search of Jesus. Because when you search for something, you put a lot into finding it. You put your being, you put your entire energy, you put your focus into finding it. You go to Great Lakes to encounter it. And when I think of Jesus, when I think of God, when I think of that little phrase, it sort of encapsulates the whole entire Christian walk. It sort of describes what we are actually doing here together as the body of believers this morning. We are searching for Jesus. In fact, this past week I was praying with the pastors in the city of Orange. We get together once a month, we pray for an hour, and it's always awesome. It's always God-centered time. And one of the pastors there was praying for you. He was praying for me. He was praying for every church of the city of Orange that is gathering together this weekend to worship. He was praying that we would all be coming here, not because of the preacher, not because of the worship leader, not because of the band, not because of the music, not because of whatever. He was deeply, fervently praying for you and me that we would gather here this morning, that we would connect to God himself. That we would expect to encounter and hear Jesus as the only voice to speak deep into our entire core and being. That's a big deal. There are all sorts of reasons we come to church on a Sunday morning. But the main reason is to connect to Jesus. To find him. To search for him. To search for more of him. And as we see in our text this morning, that that search, that pursuit of Jesus, it's always nuanced. It's always multi-layered. It's always awesome. It always involves trying to find more. In verse 25, it continues and says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, 
Rabbi, when did you get here? Because they didn't know that he miraculously walked on water. Verse 26, Jesus answered. He said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. You're searching for me, which is good. You're searching for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, not because I fed miraculously the 5,000, not because I walked on water, not because of all these other miracles I did, not because of what those miracles say about who I actually am. You're not searching for me because of that. He says, you're searching for me because you ate. You ate the loaves and you had your fill. How many times in life do we seek Jesus? Do we search Jesus? Do we pursue Jesus? Do we come to church on a Sunday morning because we want him to satisfy us on one level? We want him to give us some food that make us feel good for a moment. But he wants to take us to a whole entire different realm of existence. Verse 27, he says, do not work for food that spoils. Do not work for that food that you're going to eat, and one hour later, you're going to be starving again. He said, don't work for that kind of food. Work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Verse 28, then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? They want to work for this bread. This bread that Jesus is talking about, it sounds so good. They're saying, what, what kind of works do we have to do? What can we do to get the bread? They're searching for Jesus. They're searching for God. And I love that they're doing that. They have questions. They don't have it all figured out. They're moving closer and closer toward Jesus. They're wondering about him. They're pursuing him. They're searching for him. They're discovering more about this mysterious teacher, this rabbi, this leader, this human, this God-man. And Jesus gives them one of the greatest answers in the Bible, one of the greatest statements we have from Jesus, the word of Jesus himself. Jesus answered and he said, the work of God, not the works, not all these little piddly things that you're trying to do all the time. He says, there's only one thing. Pastor Tim pointed this out to me yesterday. He said, it's one thing, the work of God. There's only one thing you got to do. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Now, immediately when we hear that word believe in our society, we go to the cognitive domain. We think intellectual assent. We think there's a propositional truth. I've analyzed that truth, and I agree with it, and so I say I believe in it. But in the Bible, when we see the word believe, it never means that sort of thing. It's part of it. But when you see the word believe, it means to trust in, to have faith in, to rely upon, to entrust your entire being to, to come into a relationship of dependence and trust with this person, this God of yours. Just like a newborn baby trusts in her mom and dad from the very beginning, Jesus says, believe in the one he has sent. And so the questions come about. They're continually searching for Jesus. They're pursuing him more. Verse 30, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Questions keep coming. They're searching for Jesus, all of that. Verse 31, then he says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And so what they're doing is they're, they're going back to their own religious context. They're going to their own way of viewing the world. They're going to their own religious pursuits. They're going back to the Old Testament. They're going back to the manna. They're trying to understand Jesus in their context, in their past, but Jesus is doing a new thing. He's taking them beyond their past. He's taking them beyond their stomachs and their earthly appetites. He's taking them to a whole new realm of existence, a more satisfying, a more nourishing, a more quenching reality. And in verse 32, like a good rabbi does, Jesus said to them, he said, very truly, I tell you. He says, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. So what he's doing is he's re-quoting the student's question, and he's bringing it into his teaching, and he's redefining it like rabbis did. He's a master rabbi. He's a master teacher. He's explaining to them that verse in 31 that says he gave them bread from heaven. He's going to tell you what that he gave them bread from heaven part means. It's not Moses who has given, but it is my Father who gives you're the true bread from heaven. He's saying that it's not Moses. It's the heavenly father. The giving is not in the past. The giving is in the present. It's right now and it endures to the future and to all eternity. He is always giving you. He is always giving you. Verse 33, he says, he's always giving you for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying the bread from heaven isn't that manna from the Old Testament that fed the stomachs of the Israelites 1,500 years ago. He says the heavenly bread that I'm talking to you about, it gives life to the world. Not to the Israelites, not just to the Lutherans, but to everyone. Eternal life. Not just physical sustenance. This is the bread that satisfies, Jesus says, this is the bread that satisfies every longing and every thirst at the very core of your entire existence. I've got that bread for you. And they're like, we want it. Verse 34, sir, they said, always, always give us this bread. And in verse 35, Jesus declared one of the most powerful statements in scriptures, those first two words there, he says, I am. I am. Yahweh in the Old Testament, that's what his name means. I am, he is, he exists. Jesus, in those very few words, is saying, I am God. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, not to this person, not to that person, not to that dream, not to that desire, not to this thing from society, not to spouse or children or your friend. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, whoever comes to me to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty friends in Christ we are given a gift today in those words they're all gospel they're all love they're all grace they're all mercy they're a huge reminder to us Every single one of us in the room, we have hunger pains. We have thirsts in our life that need to be quenched. I have them. I've got a lot of them. You have them. You've got a lot of them. And so often we try to stuff our metaphorical stomachs with every kind of food and every kind of drink, and it just doesn't last. We're always hungry. We're always thirsty again. 
And I might ask you this morning, what is it that you're hungering for? What, are you, what is it that you're feeding yourself? What is it that you're thirsting for? What is it that you're drinking down and it just, it's just not working? The thing about it is that Jesus is saying to us, Jesus, and entrusting and yourself to him. He's the only one. He's the only one that will truly satisfy every hunger and thirst that you have deep down inside. That new job that you want so bad, it's not going to do it, I'm telling you. The money that you think you need, it's not going to do it. All the best vacations in the world with all the best bread is not going to do it. A new career won't do it. A better employer is not going to do it. A better employee is not going to do it. A better husband or a better wife is not going to do it. I'm going to tell you, an affair will definitely not do it. Alcohol won't do it. Getting into your dream school won't do it. Getting straight A's won't do it. A new car won't do it. A new phone won't do it. A new house won't do it. All sorts of things that you think are going to do it, they're not going to do it. Jesus says, don't work for that food that spoils. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so it's not a law thing. It's a gift thing. It's an invitation to us right now. It's a re-invitation to us today. Jesus is saying to you and to me right now, in this very moment, silence the voice of sin and shame. He says, come to me. Come to me and trust your life and trust yourself and trust your hopes and trust your dreams and trust your fears and trust your longings and trust your searchings and trust your doubts and trust your wonderings and trust all of it to me. And he promises that you will never hunger and you will never thirst. He says to us this very morning, he says to you and to me, he says, I am the bread of life. 